When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, welcome to Horse Hour. I'm Amy Stevenson. Today, we're joined by Ollie Crow, who's a director and surgeon at B&W Equine Vets, and we're talking kissing spine. It's a subject that you've all been talking about on Horse Hour for the last few weeks, and we're especially curious about the growth of the horse's skeleton. At what age is the skeleton fully formed? Well, Ollie's going to give us the signs, the symptoms, and the treatment of kissing spine, and some extra advice too. This is Horse Hour. Welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. Now, you know these are my favourite episodes because we talk about education and we learn so much from the team at B&W Equine Vets. And today we're welcoming Ollie Crow. He's a recognised specialist surgeon and a director of B&W. How are you, Ollie? I'm very well, thanks. Well, wow. Welcome to everybody who's listening. Oh, thanks so much for joining us. We've had a lot of questions um, on Twitter on Horse Hour lately, uh, particularly about kissing spine and, and the, the skeleton of the horse. So I was really hoping you could help us with some signs, some symptoms and uh, some treatments today. Yeah, absolutely. So kissing spine is, is very much, a, I suppose it's a diagnosis of the moment in, in a lot of ways because it's something that people have become more aware of. You know, 20 years ago, People didn't really, there wasn't much talk about horses with back pain. And I think we, we as vets and certainly clients as well have recognised that much more these days and accept that horses are, you know, they are a lot more complex than they just get some slightly sore feet and limp a bit. Um, there are lots of other reasons why they, they can't quite do the job in the way that we would like them to or they're used to be able to do. And kissing spine is, is often a cause of, of that sort of thing, of just not quite performing right or ain't quite right, um, as we sometimes refer to them. So is it in like an overall back pain? Is that what you've given? Because I'm finding from doing these episodes, I'm finding that there's names for things and, you, and they scare us. And you think, well, what is this? And actually, it's, a, it's just a problem with the back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, kissing spine is, is a sort of colloquial term for a very specific problem which is um, where each of the vertebrae has a, a dorsal spinous process, which is like a shark's fin that pokes up from the top. Mm. And they should have a, a nice bit of space between them. There are ligaments that run between those, and that gives plenty of room for, if you think of how the horse's back moves when they're um, walking and trotting and particularly cantering and jumping, the, uh, the back has to bend quite a lot. And um, in cases of kissing a spine, the um, those bones rather than having a nice space between them actually sort of crush up against each other oh. uh, and so they you know bone is not designed to crush up against bone if it if it's you know in places where it does that you, you have joints and cartilage between them and it's all nice and smooth and that's that's not the case in this part of the horse's back um, so that's that is classically what kissing spine is 
Um, actually, you know, it's it, it's been a diagnosis we've we've been able to make for a long time because you can make it radiographically. Um, but it, it it's now started that like actually the the whole issue of horses back pain is a little more complex than that, as you might expect. You know, mm. if you think of all the different diagnoses that humans and to an extent dogs and cats have, um, they have the advantage of advanced diagnostic imaging, which we're a bit more limited with with our patient size. But as I say, kissing spine is certainly a a relatively common condition that we would uh, we we would deal with here. Is that common? Is it that really surprises me? It's yeah. It certainly it, it is reasonably common. I mean, partly we see a lot of it because of where we are and what we do. Um, you know, we we filter from lots of other places, um, so they end up coming here because mm. um, so we've got quite a large referral caseload. So you know, we get a lot from all over the place rather than just on our doorstep. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it is, it is relatively common. Um, it seems to be that thoroughbreds are a bit overrepresented. Um, mm. Not particularly sure why that is, whether it's conformational or just some other breed relation. Um, but we would see plenty of them in, you know, retrained racehorses, but also just, you know, thoroughbreds that are just, you know, out there doing that sport horse thing whatever that may be that that have problems that's really interesting you should say that because um we had a chat on the horse hour podcast a few weeks ago on training horses too young and um, one of the questions is if you train a horse too young can that contribute to them having kissing spine later on um i guess not that we know about and actually the, the training too young is really interesting you know there's there's lots of reasons for um for actually training horses in their youth um so actually, if you look at, obviously completely going off subject here, but um, mm-hmm. if you look at the um, the risk of tendon injuries in national hunt horses, those national hunt horses that have had a flat racing career, so have been trained as babies, have a much lower risk of injuring their tendons when they're training as national hunt horses than those that remain as stores out in the field till they're sort of three or four or five and then go into national hunt racing. So by training the skeleton, you um, Tendons are trainable up to a reasonably young age, so probably up to about two in thoroughbreds. And the skeleton is trainable throughout life. So as long as you get the balance right between training and overtraining, which obviously that's the $6 million question is where Mm. that point comes. But if you get that balance right, actually training them early is a good thing. So it's not it's not all bad. Um, And certainly relating to kissing spines, we we're not aware of overtraining in youth being a cause of that. But equally, we've not we've not really crunched the numbers and looked at the data so it would be an interesting thing to to look into that actually and see you know the the cases we see how many of them you know trained as two-year-olds or or not yeah and that would be that would be useful information to have actually yeah it's very easy to say well if you're on the horse's back too young then it's going to make a difference but i'm fascinated at the fact that you can train earlier and you can actually train the tendons and and i'm guessing is that to make them stronger to 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 help build them up Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, a, a good friend of mine, uh, Professor Roger Smith, who's uh, um, he'll be delighted to be called that, but he's uh, a <laughs> professor of orthopedics at the Royal Vet College, did some some really nice, he's a sort of godfather of ten, horse tendon research, um, sort of introduced stem cell therapy to, to the veterinary field and uh, done some fantastic work. And uh, absolutely, one of the things that he found in his research was that uh, exactly that horse's tendons can be trained to be better if you train up to the age of about two in thoroughbreds and after that you're just you're once you've got that tendon that's as good as it's going to be it then starts to get worse Mm. (laughs) which is which is a slightly depressing thing to think about but obviously you know plenty of horses go until they're 30 and don't bow a tendon but 
they are slowly accumulating damage you know, um, in their in their tendons. When I started doing these episodes, it was all almost like skimming the surface of problems and, and you know and ailments. And I'm getting more and more fascinated with how deep you guys go with your research and and really how technical you can be. Like the stem cell research is just phenomenal. He's a genius. He, yeah, he is, Roger. He is. He's a very, very bright man, and um, and also a lot of fun to be around. But uh, yeah, no, he's uh, he's one of those people that ought to be more recognised. You know, he, he doesn't blow his own trumpet, so those of us around him have to. But uh, yeah, he's a he's a good guy, very well, good guy. I'll be calling him tomorrow to see if he'll join us on the podcast. <laughs> I would. I would. <laughs> so, um, just going back to the skeleton, then, um, what? Sorry, yes. What, what, <laughs> what age is uh, what age is the skeleton fully formed in a in a horse? So it's a that's a very gradual process so they different different bits of the tendon uh, of the skeleton sorry um grow at different rates and mature at different rates so the um if you, if you want an indication of how tall a horse is going to be um, when it's a foal we'll look at its pastons because the pastons are reach their sort of maximum length pretty much first of all of the uh, of all of the bits of the horse can you just explain to me what a pastern um, is so pattern, the, the bit below the fetlock, so just above the foot, the, the, the bit between the, um, the, uh, the hoof and the, the fetlock, the first sort of obvious joint that you see, mm-hmm. um, that's the, the pattern region. There are actually three bones, so very much like our, in fact, entirely like our finger. So the, the pedal bone is like the tip of our finger um, inside the hoof. And then there's a short pattern bone, which is like our middle digit, um, it, which is, comes up from the hoof. And then the, the, the longer uh, bone, which is like the one that runs up to our knuckle, um, is the um, uh, that's we would call that the long pastern bone or, or proximal phalanx if you're getting fancy, <laughs> um, and then the, the fetlock is like our, our knuckle basically. If you think of of, of that rude gesture that, that people make with their middle finger, actually, mm. if you turn that upside down, that's what a horse is standing on. So they're they're mm. standing on their uh, uh, on their middle finger basically, and the rest of it's all it has all gone. So they got rid of that. Um, but that that's so the uh, the bone just below their their first knuckle is is the pastern bone, and that is the first one to kind of get to its its full length and stop growing, and then all the rest of them catch up from there. Okay. So some of the um, some of the bones of the spine are still growing until horses are sort of eight or nine, um, and they're some of the last ones to to sort of get to their maximum size and, and get rid of their growth plates. And the growth plates are, are the system by which a, a bone grows. So in in the foal long before it's born mm-hmm. their skeleton is entirely made up of cartilage um and that cartilage template that gets produced is then gradually replaced by by bone apart from this, these little bits at the end of the uh, of the bones which are called growth plates which remain as little bits of cartilage and slowly thicken mm-hmm. and as they thicken the bone then converts that cartilage um into bone and that's how the how the whole bone extends and elongates and enlarges um, it's a process called endochondrolosification, and right. that, that's how bones get bigger, basically. And the, the, the bones of the spine are about the last ones to kind of get to that end point where they're all bone, no bits of cartilage left in there, and, mm. and no more growth. Um, and I say, they can be quite late in life for that for that to finish. Um, that surprises me a little bit because I kind of expected, I've heard different things about when the, you know, the skeleton's fully formed. And um, and it, it does make us wonder the ages that we get on our horse. So what age should we be getting on our horse if their skeleton isn't fully formed? Yeah, I think there isn't, a, there isn't a, an obvious answer to that question. I mean, 
skeleton isn't fully formed you know in, in teenagers you think of sort of the um the, the training that young teenagers do um in human teenagers sorry um you know up till you know our our skeletons aren't fully formed often until we're at least in our late teens and sometimes actually into our early 20s before the last of the the growth plates close and you know there'll be plenty of people who do pretty vigorous sports uh you know things like rowing boxing you know would have fairly not suggesting people take that up personally but uh, but those sort of things that involve quite a bit of and, and running as well you know quite a bit of potential trauma but you know we, we've all evolved to kind of survive mm. and and actually stimulating the skeleton is is important um, because bone is also very responsive to training it's not just an inert substance if you train it it will get harder and stronger and it will get harder and stronger in the way that we that it needs to become harder and stronger Really um, fascinating because my brother was a professional rugby player at sixteen. Uh, okay, he represented England, and um, and he was a skinny, scrawny little thing. And I, and I know this feels like it's off subject, but actually, you're, he did train his body. You know, he yeah. had to do certain exercises. He had to build strength in his muscle and lose fat and all that kind of thing. So, so I'm guessing from what you're saying, it's the way that we're riding, the styles that we're riding. We have to be aware of the skeleton and the growth plates. It's, I'd love to be able to get a. Um, a a diagram from you if possible of where the growth plates are from the different ages so that yes, we know exactly yeah, yeah, what areas we've got to be protective of yeah i, I think i mean that, that whole thing of i think it's you're absolutely right it's not just when we ride horses but but how we ride them and i mean it would be fascinating to i'd love to um, look at places like the Cadenoir noir in samur where you know really expert dressage riders buy horses you know they the um uh, so the, the experts there, they, they get their horses when they're about three um, and they, um, they they then keep them until they're, they're usually at 15 or 16. And I would love to look at the injury profile there mm-hmm. and where, you know, they're ridden by experts who, you know, I, I, I ride like a sack of potatoes. I'm <laughs> terrible at it. But it will be it will be very interesting to to look at that population and try and, com- and compare their injury profile and injury incidents to so, you know, horses that are working very hard. But to perhaps some of the rest of us mere mortals who actually, you know, perhaps we could learn a lot from that and see whether that would reduce our injury risk in our, you know, in our horses mm. um, would be, a, I think, a great thing to do. Well, let us know when you do that, because uh, I'd love to cover yeah. that too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, I'll have to have some trips to Samuel. That'll, that, yeah. That's what it means. <laughs> um, so then going back to the kissing spines point then. So actually, we don't know yet if there's any correlation between riding horses young and getting kissing spine. No, no, and and as I say, I think it's it, it could it could entirely be that actually you know riding them young and riding them properly when they're young might actually almost be slightly preventative because they're as with us you know you sort of think of lower back pain in people that that's uh, much more common in people who sit in office chairs and spend a long time sitting down and actually not strengthening their back and not strengthening their core. Mm. Um, horses' backs are very similar in lots of ways, and um, it may well be that actually training horses reasonably young and riding them properly and getting core strength uh, and strengthening their back muscles early might actually help to reduce the risk of kissing spines. It, it, it may not, I don't know, but it's, uh, I certainly wouldn't say um, that definitely riding them too early is going to be a problem. Mm. Okay, thank you so much. So how do we then, if we're worried that our horse might have kissing spines, is it kissing spines or kissing spine? Yeah, I, whichever. So the, there are various names for it, kissing spines or kissing spine and um, impinging dorsal spinous processes or overriding dorsal spinous processes. 
Um, uh, yeah, so uh, in any of the above, uh, it doesn't really have a proper name. Okay, horrible back problems. Um, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> if we're worried that our horse might have it, what kind of signs do we need to be looking out for? So they are they are hugely varied. Um, uh, you know, the, the severity is very variable, um, and some of them will be just a bit off. They, the things they tend to lose, they, they tend to struggle with first are cantering and jumping. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, and sometimes it will just be the horse has lost its jump a bit or, you know, not um, very going flat over the jump, not basculing, um, tending to rush at the jumps. Um, so they sort of you can keep their back flat without, um, you know, without sort of properly using it to, to, to arch or to bend and collect before the jump through to, uh, you know, from that sort of subtle change, bit of loss of action of the canter, you know, maybe flagging, flagging a tail a bit, little bit, um, ears back a bit when they're asked to canter, chomping on the bit a little bit, those sort of things, just signs of discomfort, sort of low-grade discomfort through to literally you cannot get near them with a the saddle because mm. they, you know, they're just desperate to get anybody off their back. Mm. Um, and, you know, proper bucking bronco type thing. Um, it, you know, it's the most severe way, you know, we, we, we don't ask somebody to get on and show us what they're doing because they, you know, they're sort of looking at us with broken arms and broken collarbones and that sort of thing where they've been dumped on their heads. Um, so it can be, it can be very severe. Um, and, and really almost anything in between those two extremes is, uh, is what we see. That's hard though, isn't it? Because when, when a horse is a little bit off, you initially go, oh, well, let's get the saddle checked. And I guess that's the first yeah, protocol. Yeah, uh, quite rightly. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly that. And, and have the physio, you know, a lot, a lot of people will get the physio to, um, you know, sort of maybe try and ease a bit of muscle spasm in their back. Again, perfectly reasonable if the horse is a bit off, particularly if it's sort of objecting a bit, getting a bit cold backed, um, for sure, getting the saddle checked because, you know, horses change shape through the year and from year to year as well. So, you know, keeping a saddle checked regularly with a good saddler is absolutely, you know, is a vital part of keeping them healthy. Mm. Um, but yeah, it can be, it can be very, you know, we, and we struggle sometimes with the diagnosis. Another thing that's quite common actually is people, um, you know, they come in and they say, you know, my horse is lame and you look at it and you think, well, it's not. And sometimes we'll put the, um, the lameness locator on, which is a, a device for measuring symmetry of movement and that tells you the horse isn't lame and you're sort of scratching your head because somebody very sensibly is you know standing in front of you saying well listen i ride my, when i ride my horse it's lame mm. um and you get them on board and suddenly it's a very different clinical picture of you know a very obviously uncomfortable horse that you know just ain't quite right um and it's sometimes quite difficult to put your finger on what it is about it that isn't quite right um and it, the, the signs can be very vague um so mm. yeah doesn't help us though Keeps does it? Interesting. yeah your job's hard <laughs> enough <laughs> no. as it is I, we need a paint by numbers really um yeah exactly is there with some with some injuries or with some issues there's heat would there be any heat on the horse's back is there anything that we could feel for no and interestingly i mean on, on point there's been a lot of interest recently in thermography and uh, we, we're struggling at the moment to, to find which you know it's a nice idea that obviously it's inflamed and painful um, at the moment, we're struggling a little bit to tie up thermographic signs with with clinical signs. We, in fact, we we no longer have a thermography camera uh, in us. We did have a little while ago now, mm. and we we didn't find that useful actually. Which obviously will um, uh, you know companies like Sync Thermography. Uh, I know we're trying to do it perhaps a, a little more rigorously than maybe we we did. But I, we, at the moment, we're struggling to. So even with that very sensitive detector of changes of temperature, I think we we struggle to to detect. Um, heat. What you can sometimes detect, and, and as a you know, a, a nice sign to look for, is the muscle spasm 
that is often associated with back pain. Oh, okay. Um, and that's where essentially, if you run your fingers down their back, either side of the uh, of the sort of the, the midline where the bony lumps of the spine are, those big chunky muscles. If you give those a good squeeze, just like if you've been to the gym and overdone it, and somebody comes and pokes you in the arm where it's sore, mm. that you know it's a very similar response. What you tend to do is to tense against them, and then quietly ask them to stop doing that. And you know, horses don't always quietly ask you to stop doing that, but they do tense against you. It's a very subjective thing. So, you know, I have to be aware when I walk up and poke a horse in the back that if a stranger walked up and poked me in the back, I might be a bit tense. <laughs> and uh, and it's very much the same with, with horses that, you know, it's a very subjective sign that. But certainly having a good feel down your horse's back, especially if you, you know, obviously they know you, so they may be more relaxed about you being around there, mm. the, the, the main muscles of the back. If they're, if they're sort of, they're used to being handled there and when you start squeezing, they get very, you know, they're sort of tensing their muscles against you and it feels very hard. Then that may be a sign that they, you know, that they have some muscle spasm in there. And one of the one of the things that can cause that is kissing spine. They mm-hmm. obviously they can get bruised muscles. They can get they can also overwork like we do. So it doesn't necessarily mean your horse has kissing spine. But that's one uh, one sort of sign that you can look for that, that, that there may be a problem. I guess it's putting all the signs together, isn't it? Because individually, yeah. we get those things all the time. I mean, Blackjack, when I first got him, he tensed loads when I put the saddle on him. But that was because he'd had saddles thrown on his back. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a collective view, isn't it? If they're riding differently, if they've got their ears back, if they're not, like you said, not jumping. The other thing, actually, interestingly, is that they these will often these problems will often start when they've had time off for something else, Um, which again is a very, it's a very common part of the history actually that, you know, had a lameness, did a tendon, something like that, had some time off. And and when it came back, all of a sudden, it's just not happy being ridden, got a bit cold backed. Um, And again, probably, you know, relating to our discussion earlier on about the importance of building muscle, that may be that they're actually, whilst they've been, when they're, um, fit and strong they're able to support their back in a way that is comfortable for them when they lose that they're not able to and their back sags a bit and that means that those processes kind of impact more against each other or they're not so able to hold their back in a way that's comfortable for them mm. um, so again that's something else just to watch out for if they if you start to experience these problems after your horse has had some time off that would be a a relatively common history for a horse with kissing spine. I really wish you could come out with your magic machine and just do a full MOT of our horses. Like, you know, it's almost <laughs> like a, a car wash where we just walk them through them and say, right, every year you go to different yards and do an MOT. And we can tell because it would be so great. A problem with kissing spine is so severe. And the thought of having a horse with its, you know, its bones rubbing together, it would be great if we could catch all that much earlier. But like you said, it's so difficult to be able to see really what's going on inside. It, it is. I mean, I think the from an owner's point of view, the thing is to 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 know your horse and to know when it's when things change. Uh, and so it, it's often a lot more clear cut and people, you know, had we've had this horse for five years it's never you know coughed once out of place it's always been a very relaxed horse and now it's getting grumpy when we get on board mm. that obviously that's that's the time to call you know call your vet and get them to come and have a look at that it, it is more difficult when you know we've just bought this horse and it seemed all right when we tried it but now it's getting grumpier and grumpier um mm. and that that's you know then you again it's sort of never maybe quite sure whether it actually just doesn't enjoy its current environment as much as the previous or and you know, with all due respect as well different riding styles different environments that they're in it's not uncommon actually to see these problems start when they change hands which obviously 
you know, causes some upset on, on both sides because somebody sold a horse that was, has never put a foot wrong, somebody's bought a horse that's never put a foot right. And <laughs> somewhere in the middle is the, um, uh, you know, well, how's this happened? And actually, that's not an uncommon history either. Mm. But just change of owner, change of rider and, and think, you know, the wheels start to come off. Oh, God. Makes us not want to buy a horse, doesn't it, really? <laughs> <laughs> just, no, I never buy a horse. It's a crazy thing. Yeah. <laughs> And really interesting that you said that thoroughbreds tend to suffer with kissing spine more than the more chunkier breeds. Yes. Yeah. And as I say, we don't really know why, but it's just something that we have noticed, um, you know, over the years. And certainly when we've, you know, we followed up the the surgical technique that we use um, for uh, for treating this condition uh, a little while back. And when we looked at the breeds that were involved, it was uh, thoroughbreds were heavily overrepresented. Mm. Um, so, you know, we, we, we have a real sort of mix of horses that come through our clinic, but in th- those that came through with Kissing Spine, there were far more of them with thoroughbreds than the, the, than the general population. Um, so it does seem to be a, pr- a breed predisposition. Mm. Well, we'll work on that because that could be, you know, that could, in, my, in my really silly you know, amateur brain. I'm thinking, well, maybe it's because their their skeletons aren't strong enough to be able to have people on their backs so much, or maybe we're putting a little bit too much pressure on their bones. Yeah, possibly. I mean, it is uh, that is it's possible. Um, it, you know, it may just be a conformational thing that the the, the shape of them. Um, it just means that they are more likely to get kissing spines. That's um, and as I say, actually, it, it's th- theories are great, but what we need is evidence because it may be that actually. Uh, we need to work them harder. I know that's silly, that sounds like a daft thing to say, but it is possible that actually we need to spend more time working them and, and perhaps working them more correctly to build their strength mm. so that their, their backs are stronger. In the same way that, you know, if you've got a bad back these days, you often won't get told to go and lie, quite, lie quietly. You let it settle down a bit and then get sent for a Pilates class. Yeah. class <laughs> because actually what you need to do is to get stronger, not weaker. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it may well be that actually we need to be doing more of that sort of thing and more physio and that kind of thing than, than actually doing less work with them. Mm. Is, uh, that, that's certainly possible. So we've got lots of research ahead of us, Ollie. We've got to get on it, really, haven't we? Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're, you, you touched on the, on the surgery on and how, you, how do you deal with the kissing spine if, if a horse is you know you've diagnosed it is it diagnosing through mri scans is that how you diagnose no it? sadly not but much much as we would love to we uh, we're really very heavily reliant on x-ray so play, plain old radiography um you know we're very lucky here we've got a, a, a very powerful x-ray machine and almost more importantly we have a, a very experienced radiographer she actually she literally wrote the book so oh, wow. uh, radiography the horse by jan butler if anybody <laughs> any vets out there want to go and buy that book it's a, it's well worth it is it's the standard text for the veterinary industry or the equine veterinary industry um and she gets amazing radiographs for us um and they uh, you know unfortunately we scintigraphy so bone scan can be a useful diagnostic technique as well we would love to have ct and mri for horses backs and whilst we have ct and mri they don't they aren't made big enough for us to get a horse's back into we've got some amazing images of horses necks with our and heads with our ct scanner fantastic lower limb um, MRI views but unfortunately the bit in the middle um, mm. which it would be fantastic to have MRI and CT images for unfortunately but they, they, they just aren't made big enough unfortunately at the moment but, oh, that's uh, a shame we'll, we'll, we'll keep asking mm-hmm. somebody might. <laughs> <laughs> somebody for a small price I'm sure we'll build one eventually <laughs> so what do you do you, we, we, we take the horse to you um, you put it through the x-ray machine and that's how you can tell and, and officially say yes he's got it or no he hasn't 
Yeah, so that, that's how you tell that they have um, what we would call radiographic signs or, or that they technically have kissing spines because they, you can see the, the bony reaction, you can see the, the bone butting up against bone. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that that is the cause of the horse's problem um, because some horses will have x-ray changes that, that uh, show you that the you know, bone has butted against bone, but actually that isn't necessarily the cause of their pain. Some of these don't seem to cause discomfort. Hmm. It's probably true that there, there was a, um, a study a long, quite a long time ago, I mean, back before even I was a vet, um, that um, looked at essentially somebody at the Animal Health Trust asked everybody arriving with their horse if their horse had back pain and, and then x-rayed all of their backs. And some of the people who said, a reasonable number of the people who um, said their horse didn't have back pain, their horses did have kissing spines. Now, no it's slightly different era and it may well be that um I, I think we are better at detecting back pain in horses now so maybe mm. some of those were missed but undoubtedly we we've certainly seen horses competing at you know four-star eventing that have outrageous x-rays on their back and and they certainly appear to be working perfectly effectively um and so you know you, with those ones it, it then makes you question some of the some of the ones that have milder signs uh, that you know, have some, you know, some pretty ferocious clinical signs. Um, yeah, but that's so not surprising, order... Ollie, is it? I mean, let's be honest, if I oh, hurt absolutely. my arm, you know, I can deal with it. My other half, if he earns his arm, he's got to be in bed for a week. It's just oh, person... At least a week, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, just... no, that's a... it's personalities, that isn't, uh... isn't it? Some horses yeah, can deal exactly. with pain. Yeah, exactly. Sol- solidarity with the other half. Yeah. I'm on his side, definitely. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. That is, first of all, some horses can deal with it, um, and undoubtedly, some of those you know might actually benefit from a, from a bit of treatment. But I'm sure there are some horses that are genuinely perfectly comfortable with it, mm-hmm. and they their 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 bones have changed enough that they're they're sort of slightly wrapping around each other. But now that you know the, the pain side of it is done, and they're not painful, so that's the. What we have to decide then is whether the horse is responding in the way that it's responding when it's ridden or that's why it's not quite right because of that or whether actually that's a very interesting thing, but that's not cause of the horse's problem. Mm. And that can be a really difficult thing to, to decide. So um, one thing we can do is to inject local anaesthetic around those, uh, around those sites, make the whole area go numb and then see them ridden again. So see them ridden first make that area of their back go numb so they can't feel it and then see them ridden again. And sometimes, again, you'll see a dramatic change from a horse that you're really worrying somebody's about to get launched into orbit to a horse that just lunges, uh, trots around, you know, canters nicely, very relaxed, and, uh, you know, then everybody's happy. But you can't but, put anaesthetic oh, in their back every time you want to ride them. So how would you no, make that not. horse so, better? So there are, there are various things. You, some horses can respond to, to just physiotherapy, um, strengthening up, um, you know, spending some time working long and low, building the muscles of their back up, having some physiotherapy to relieve some of the muscle spasm that they get related to that, which is part of the painful bit. Mm. And also to specifically strengthen some of the small postural muscles um, that are important in keeping their spine in alignment, uh, just like yours or mine. If we, again, if we go and sit in, a, in an office chair and do that for eight hours a day, some of our small postural muscles that kind of keep us, you don't really notice that you're, you're using but little muscles that everybody hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part they're all about safe ethical and responsible manufacturing 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It sits up straight when I say that. Mm, yeah, I did. Um, I did then. <laughs> it, <laughs> um, some of the, the small postural muscles will get weak if you get back pain. And, and actually, to rebuild those muscles... You have to do specific exercises, and that's why you know that's where physios really come into their own. Um, is is rebuilding some of those postural muscles. So mild cases can be treated conservatively. Um, sometimes we'll inject their back with a bit of steroid, uh, corticosteroid, which is a very potent anti-inflammatory. Mm. And again, sometimes all that does is, is buys you a bit of time, so it gets you to the end of the season. Or obviously, in some you know this is this is something that tends to get worse as horses get older. And you know if you if you've only got a one or two seasons left in the horse anyway, and you don't want to put them through anything too severe, then some steroid injections can just kind of help them along a little bit just to kind of get to the end of their career anyway. Um, and and, and the, there are the various options for surgery as well. Oh, that's um, good. To, to relieve, the, to relieve the, um, the, the impingement there. And how do you do that? Do you, you can't take, take the bone out, can you? There are multiple slightly different ways of doing it. Um, the... Um, the sort of the I suppose in some ways the the most basic but can be effective is to um, cut the ligament that runs between those bones and the the idea of that is that you um, by releasing that that tension between the bones you can um, allow them to allow the muscles of the back to spread those bones further apart and then you do some fairly intensive physiotherapy to to move those bones farther further apart. Now it may well be that by cutting that it, that actually the ligament itself is a bit painful mm. and so by cutting that. You, you you just make it more comfortable. So that can work with, with some. Um, in our caseload, and, and caseloads vary, you know, different types of horses, different uses of horses from literally from clinic to clinic. Um, we've not found that all that useful because with our caseload, there's an awful lot of uh, horses where there's an enormous amount of bony reaction around those, uh, around those sort of points of contact which means that the ligament isn't really there anymore. You've just mm. got sort of bone sort of locked together with bone. Um, and so, what we, so we do tend to remove bits of bone. What we used to do is to cut the top off every other, um, every second vertebra. So you create an enormous amount of space between them, uh, or every second process, sorry. So you wow. essentially end up with something that looks a bit like the, uh, the, the top of a you know, castle turret, sort of one tall, one, one short, one, one tall, one, one short one, mm. uh, which, which worked very nicely, but it's a, it's a pretty invasive technique. There's a, you know, there's a lot of tissue is damaged, um, potentially unnecessarily, sort of healthy tissue is damaged. And when you do surgery, you always want to, you, you want to, you need to achieve 
the goals that that need to be achieved, but hopefully do as little damage as possible. And and any time you wield a scalpel or a you know a surgical instrument, we are doing damage. Obviously, you know, tissues weren't didn't evolve to be cut through. Mm. Um, that you know they they have amazing healing abilities, but the less damage we can do, the better. So what we tend to do now is to rather than taking the whole of the top of the process off. Um, is to simply take a, take off the front of the process. So if you think of it as a um, uh, as a, a fairly sort of square shark's fin, we we just take a, a little piece of bone, a little sliver of bone off the front of that. So rather than that bit of bone bashing up against the one in front, there's a space between it and the one in, in front. And possibly the easiest way to to sort of show you that is to um, is to get you some x-rays of before and after so you can kind of see this this is an impacting bone and this is um space between bones oh, amazing um, so thank it, you it's like slightly slightly easier to sort of see it than to try and explain it if you know if you haven't got a a bit of back in front of you where you can point it out you're just so clever ollie i never even no no I it's was, very simple stuff i it's, said jokingly <laughs> like you can't cut a bit of bone off but but you can and the horse is okay yeah, with absolutely. that yeah, and actually, it's something. I mean, one of the other advantages of that we make we end up making very small incisions. So it's sort of the incisions are about a centimeter or so long. We do it essentially we do it blind, but under radiographic guidance. So we're we're doing we're creating much less trauma. Um, but the, almost the best thing about it is the horse is conscious, standing, no just have a bit of sedation, local anaesthetic, and then so they're not anaesthetized. They don't have that risk. And also, anaesthesia is compromised horses as well. There, mm. there are many times when we have to do it to to get the job done. But for jobs like this and some of the you know head surgeries and fracture repair that we do, actually keeping them conscious and standing is quite the best way to do it. So I guess it's like um, keyhole surgery. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, yes, it is. I mean, it's it, the incision size is about the same as it's probably slightly longer than we than we would make for an arthroscopy, um, which would be as keyhole surgery on joints. But yeah, absolutely. The, the aim is to do as little damage as possible, and they do seem to be a lot more comfortable postoperatively, uh, which you know you would make sense because we've done a lot less damage to them so yeah hopefully they they, they do seem to be pretty perky you know the day after surgery once the local anesthetic's worn off um than they than they used to be when we did it the other way and how long is normally the recovery process i guess it, it's different i know it's different from if you've got physio you know that'll take a long time um before you get to the surgery point but let's say you have a horse that you do this surgery with what do you, what kind of time scale are you looking at so they have four weeks of box rest and walking exercise. They have their skin sutures and staples taken out a couple of weeks after surgery. Um, so four, four weeks in the box, but they're walking straight away. We get them fed from the floor. So they're getting their head down and, and stretching their backs. Um, and that, you know they can get out and, and graze in hand just to give those wounds time to heal up and get nice and strong. Mm. And then they can be turned out and they have six weeks turned out in the paddock, not being ridden, but started to lunge either in a Pessoa or an Equiband or Equiami um, to get them uh, trying to work a little bit long and low and stretch their backs. And we we very much encourage people to um, get physios to help them as well with stretches and uh, and to start rebuilding those muscles um, and giving them exercises um, and they're, they're much more able than we are to work with them on a very much a one-to-one basis because the physio can show the, the client the owner what to, you know what exercises to do and then come back and make sure they're doing them properly and keep going back and visiting and, and mm. essentially helping to walk them through the process of rehabilitation um, and so yeah that's it, it's essentially a 10-week program before you get back on them in most cases before you get back on their back and start riding again ollie i'm mesmerized i'm so like i I can't explain to you 
you've taken us on this huge journey of, um, you know, we can't really tell what the kissing spine is to, okay, we've worked it out. The horse is in horrific pain and is bucking people off and people are almost dying, getting severe injuries to being thrown off. <laughs> to, Sometimes. To, to um, you know, a, a horse where it can have a little bit of physiotherapy and we can work through it and try and take it better. To the surgery, which sounded so horrific to start with and like it was a huge trauma, but it's not a trauma. You've brought us back to this really lovely positive um you know it's a small surgical it's a big surgical procedure but you do it in a small way yeah, to only three yes. weeks three months off that's incredible yes yeah and that's that's i mean that's what we aim for you know unfortunately what we have to accept as surgeons is that we're, we're never going to have 100 percent success rate and so mm. there are some horses that don't respond to surgery and uh, you, you know we 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 work very hard with each and every one of them to try and make sure that it's successful. We have a, you know a very experienced team here, um, but it, absolutely, it, you know, people obviously need to understand as well that, that there, there's no such thing as 100% success. Mm. Actually, you know, across the board, you know, including yours and my surgery as well. It's uh, it's um, you know the there are risks involved. We try and minimise those risks by doing things like not anaesthetising them, keeping incisions small, and that sort of thing. Um, but there are, but yeah, and the majority do well and, and respond nicely to surgery. Um, the when we followed up our cases, I it's a little while ago now. We sort of followed up the first 120 or so that we did, um, which we presented at a meeting a little while back. The I, I think it was about 77% of horses that just had kissing spine. That was their that was their only problem. Mm. Went back to full work and everybody was happy. Um, if they had other issues, and that's always a problem. Um, of, you know, is it lame as well? Then actually, then obviously the, um, the the stats start to work a little bit more against you. So about fifty five percent of those that you know were lame at the same time went back to full work um, because uh, you know undoubtedly some of those you know the more issues you've got, the harder it is to get past all of them. Um, oh, absolutely, so that, and that sometimes numbers down. can that, I mean, it's just amazing. But the the kissing spine can that lead? Often I hear. Um, explanations if there's a problem with a horse in one area they overcompensate in another area so do you find other issues because of the kissing spine yeah it's, it's a very good question you know, it, a little bit chicken and egg is to, so yes we, we we often do uh, you know horses often have multiple issues and uh, uh, yeah absolutely was it the kissing spine that caused them to over overwork their suspensories or additionally we've tended to think more along the lines of you know, sort of lameness causing back pain in the same way that if you or I walk around with one shoe on and one shoe off for a while, we'll get lower back pain. Mm. If a horse is asymmetric because it's lame, then they will develop, you know, a weaker and uncomfortable back. Um, but I think we're we're probably a little more questioning now as to whether, which, genuinely, which which is the primary thing. And you talk, you know, talk to physios who do a lot of human work, then they're, you know, they're sort of they're used to dealing with multiple problems and this slight gait abnormality leads to that sore knee which leads to that sore hip which leads to that lower back pain and and actually you have to try and deal with all of those um and it's it, it's by the time you get to that point it, it almost doesn't matter which one came first and which started it because those are the issues that you've got mm. and and sometimes they are multiple and it's it's been a really interesting thing i think we now we have computers that help us with lameness diagnosis and and makes us better at that um again we're getting more and more of a a clearer picture of just how complex some of these cases are Mm. um in terms of you know their entire overall problem and and 
sometimes if you treat sort of part of it, that gets everything else better enough that they can carry on and are perfectly comfortable. But obviously, sometimes if you only treat part of the problem, you only get part of a response. Mm. And, so, and I'll be honest, if I'm going to come to you, I want you to fix him completely. I don't want you to say, absolutely. well, you know, we're going to leave the <laughs> leg hanging off there. Yeah. <laughs> There's no point, is there? No, no, exactly. Three-legged horses yeah. there. That's overrated. <laughs> um, it really is amazing. What's lovely is that is that kissing spine can be fixed. Um, it's yeah. not the end of the horse, which is really lovely. Do you know, I know I've thrown you on the spot here, I don't need exact figures, but just kind of percentage-wise, how many people that you've diagnosed with kissing spine can, that you just sent a physio that you try and work before you get like at what point do they then go to the surgeon do you do you um perform surgery on them yeah yes yeah I, I, to be honest it's it's one thing it, it does vary clearly it varies a lot between horses and it varies a lot between clients so some some people i guess the two two extremes are perfectly sensibly some people for some people the idea of having surgery on their horse is an absolute anathema and they, they don't want that done mm. they don't want to put the horse through that however minimally invasive we tend to think that it's still it's a thing for a horse to go through and so they just they don't want that which is absolutely fine um the 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 other end of the spectrum is listen we're not sure how much this is actually affecting the horse but they they want the problem got rid of because it's a young horse and they don't like the idea of managing a problem they want it fixed um Mm. which again is is perfectly understandable and perfectly reasonable um as to what percentage of people um you know want to go one way or the other yeah that'd be a difficult one to answer i don't i think think i meant more like in in terms of okay you've got say you've got 10 horses um yeah do do you find more and needing this is a better way of asking it okay so let's say you've got a group of horses are you finding that more need surgery for the kissing spine than than the guys that can have physiotherapy or is it more the other way around because what i don't want is for everybody to be panicking that their horse might have kissing spine and that they're going to have to go through this trauma of surgery yeah yeah, absolutely. I, I think if you're looking for a long-term solution to the problem, mm-hmm. then then the majority of horses probably would end up having surgery, which is no way to mean that plenty of horses don't do absolutely fine and, and are pain-free and work well without having surgery for this condition. Um, the other thing that's, that, that owners often find is actually when you tell them their horse has kissing spine, obviously there's the, oh my God, my horse has got kissing spine, mm-hmm. followed by the relief of, you know, they've often spent months, if not years, being told that they're not riding their horse properly. They, they're not getting into contact, all those sorts of things. And they just can't, you know, the, the horse cannot or will not do what what it needs to do. And actually, the relief sometimes when you tell them that not only is, uh, you, you know, we that your horse actually has a problem, it's a problem that's potentially fixable. That can be a huge relief. And it, it's one of the, you know, inevitably doing our job, we, we have clients you know, in tears now and again. And actually, one of the most routine times for that is when we block a horse's back and they ride them and suddenly they've got the horse back they thought they had how many years ago and it's not trying to kill them. And and it's not their fault. It's, you know, it's a physical thing that's stopping it Mm. from doing that. It's not your bad riding. Um, And genuinely, that's, you know, it's a very regular time for tears to well up and, and sort of you kind of get all that emotional feedback from all those years of abuse they've had from their friends and their horse and all of a sudden it all makes sense as to why it is yeah Yeah, and we put a lot of pressure on ourselves as horse owners to to do the best for them and i think uh, we we doubt ourselves we question our own abilities a lot and the last thing we want is to be the reason that our horse is unwell 
Yeah, hundred percent. I, I mean, I never have a problem doubting my abilities as a writer because I know they're awful. But, <laughs> so <much>. but uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, um, but yeah, no, it is. It's a, it's a, it's a very, um, uh, it's a very complex area, and and unfortunately, that means that the, you know the decision making is difficult. Mm. Uh, you know, we'd love to have a, a fully functional crystal ball. Um, to be able to truly tell people what the outcome was. And it may well be in future, as I say, when we do get better imaging of horses' backs, we may well find out there are, I'm sure, actually, that we will find out all those other reasons that that mean that sometimes this doesn't work um, and we'll be able to choose our cases better. Mm. Um, and, and so hopefully we'll be able to say, you know, with some degree of certainty that, you know, in your horse, if we do this this surgery, it will work. And in your horse, if we just medicate here, here and here, it will work. Um, unfortunately, as with so many other things, that's a that's a little way off at the moment. We will get there, though. The Animal Health Trust are doing Absolutely. amazing work on on saddles at the yep. moment, saddle fitting, and and the impact on the horse's back. So it won't be yeah, long before absolutely. we work on that. Um, so, yeah, exactly. so going uh, just backwards a little bit to what can we do as owners or as riders to prevent our horses getting kissing spine, or at least help stop that problem from happening? Um, I think keeping them keeping them fit is so uh, i think we mentioned before that um one of the risk factors for these things becoming clinically evident is having time off for some other reason mm. now obviously you can't avoid having time off and it doesn't mean that if your vet says your horse got a tendon injury it's got to be in a box for you know a prolonged period of time don't ignore that just in case your horse might get kissing spine because that you know that that's not the right thing to do but as in general management if we can keep them fit and strong um keep them um, riding so that uh, you know you're working on their the strength of their back. You're keeping a nice strong top line on them, um, which actually I should, sorry just reminded me that um, that's one of the things to if your horse has a, a very sort of poor top line. So they rather than a nice rounded uh, appearance to its back, it's sort of quite spiky with the with the um, in the middle the, the bones in the middle are quite obvious mm. and not much muscle either side of them. That can be a sign of back pain. Um, but yeah, keeping them nice and strong, nice and fit, regular exercise, um, regular physiotherapy is, is probably useful as well. Um, and, and good good saddle fit. Good saddle fit. The, the the bone, the bone that you said that was sticking out, I would have presumed that that was just down to the horse needing to put on a little bit more weight rather than... It's um, interesting. How, how is it a sign? Yeah, of... probably not. Not doesn't um, don't, They don't want to put on weight. I mean, it's, it's actually... I think relatively, well, very rare actually for a horse to be truly underweight. I mean, obviously there are conditions where horses, you know, get underweight, and and for some disciplines like showing, obviously they they, they tend to need a slightly more uh, rounded outline. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, what you, what you really want to put on is muscle. Uh, and when those when the bones of the back are looking more prominent, it's usually because they they are not particularly well muscled. You know, if you think of a, a bony long distance runner, they they you know they're they're pretty wiry, but they don't have big muscles on them. What what most of our uh, our animals want is to have a you know, really strong back, so plenty of muscle, and that should um, hide the, the the bones of the back quite quite well. But so yeah, keep keeping them strong. Um, doing plenty of fitness training with them um, hopefully will you know will help that and, and actually as I say taking advice from a from a physio maybe spending some time lunging in a Pessoa or an Equiami or an Equiband Equibands might be slightly kinder to them so it's not forcing their necks down quite so much mm. but still getting them to engage their core and strengthen up their core muscles all those sorts of things and and probably and this is a, a as I say spoken to somebody who is quite the worst rider in Gloucestershire <laughs> um actually probably getting you know continuing to get good instruction from 
from good instructors for our riding as well mm. to you know make sure we're riding them properly mm. um and as i say if anybody wants I, I probably ought to put a youtube video of me trying to ride a horse <laughs> up just so no no nobody feels i'm being rude or condescending because i really am a terrible rider i i just feel bad for the horse while i was doing that but um <laughs> but uh, but as i say I, I think probably you know keeping well instructed you, you know i i know some very very good uh, event riders who still go for for you know for dressage lessons mm. and um and maybe that's another thing actually dressage lessons probably for, for horse and rider are very useful it's a very important discipline um and it's you know if you think of the strength of ballerinas um you know pilates was developed to train ballerinas and and essentially you know in its simplest sense dressage is ballet for horses and it works on their their core strength mm. and and helps them to build strength in their back so maybe going and get going and for those people who much rather be you know ragging it around a cross-country course actually going and having some dressage lessons is a you know useful thing to do do perhaps. it i love it i'm such a dressage fan four feet on the ground <laughs> dancing with the horses you know yeah, absolutely <laughs> none of this high speed taking no, off nonsense. definitely not <laughs> Um, I do love the athletic side of dressage, and I, I, you know, it's like gymnastics. I do, I find it really fascinating. And you touched on the point of, you know, having a horse's head low and um, low and long. And I'm a massive believer in that, Ollie. It frustrates me when I see people that are pulling their horse's head in all the time to get them yeah. on, in contact or on the bit, or you know, it's. Uh, uh, it, it, that surely can't build up the top line if you're constantly pulling your horse's head and up and in all the time. Yeah, it's very interesting actually. What's what's a lovely thing to see, and I, I've seen demonstrated a few times. In uh, thin skin thoroughbreds are great because they are an anatomy lesson in themselves. Mm-hmm. Because they very fit young uh, young thoroughbreds have very little um, fat under their skin and very thin skin, so you can really see what their muscles are doing. And if you watch one of those uh, one of those horses literally just put its head down to graze in a normal way, you'll see the muscles of its belly contract and lift. And that's essentially what we what we want horses to do, because that is then strengthening their core. You know, that's a, essentially like a Pilates sit up. And um, so absolutely getting the head position right and engaging their back end is helping to strengthen their strengthen their backs. And it's it's a very it's a very nice thing for me to say, you know, go and do that. I, I genuinely I could not achieve that while I was riding a horse. I'm, I'm really not being modest. Mm. It's I, I'm a terrible rider. I couldn't do that. But there are lots of people out there that can help, you know, help riders ride better. Yeah. Um, and in doing that, um, you know, prevention is always better than cure. And so it's, um, it, you know, if we can at least, you know, we, we could probably those of us that, that do ride probably ought to just maybe spend a little bit more time. I certainly should, uh, you know, actually go and see good good trainers and and just kind of getting a bit of help with our, you know, our riding in general. Mm-hmm. Um, we all but, need help. And, and, and yeah, we do. And, and say, don't, please don't get me wrong. That's not to suggest that horses are getting kissing spine because they're being ridden badly. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I think in general, horses' back health is, is probably best looked after by being ridden well. That, you know, that may reduce some of the risks. Nobody should feel if they, get, if they, if they have a, a diagnosis of kissing spines that, that they could necessarily prevent it by treating their horse differently. It's not that at all. But uh, yeah, as I say, I think riding lessons are underrated Mm -hmm. and they are very important and building up the strength can just help it could possibly help a little bit into the horse not having kissing spine but um uh, ultimately you know we are all learning all the time how to improve our riding and you could be the best rider in the country but you still have lessons michael young still has lessons you know Gemma lessons. but but what I, i don't want to do for my horse is for my riding to affect him so if i'm riding wrong then that's only going to affect him in a 
negative way and things like you said you know you're not you said you're, you can't ride so you wouldn't be able to build the top line of your horse well I pay another girl to ride my horse three times a week to to create that lift and yeah. to, to build his muscle because I know I'm not good enough and I know we can't all you know afford someone else to ride their horse and sometimes I eat beans on toast for three nights a week to pay for it but you know it's what it, you could have a friend that's a really good rider she can get the horse's head down maybe she could help a couple of times a week yeah yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All, all the things like and also sometimes actually just ha- having somebody else ride the horse because they will be different mm. from you. You know, when you're sort of worrying is it right is it not? Just like, just getting somebody else to have a ride and see whether they have the same problems or whether they find finding the same thing getting them going. Um I, and again to not not be proud about that. You know, we we are all learning all the time mm. and you know that's that that can be a useful thing to do as well. Um, can certainly be be helpful and as I say it accepting that none of us are perfect is a is the first step to kind of getting a little bit nearer to perfection Mm -hmm, absolutely oh well Ollie Crow thank you so much for joining us today were you at badminton this year yes yeah so we we do the we're the treating vets for Mm. for badminton and and various others but yeah I I, in fact that's that's the only one of the events that I do um so I'm there for the whole time yeah I vaguely remember um feeling like a paparazzi because I think I took a photo of you while you were backstage laughing as uh, John T Evans came out and uh, it was you and a treating vet I'm sure I'm sure I was concentrating very hard (laughs) you look like you were having the best time I thought oh my goodness if I could be a vet just to enjoy that day did you have fun (laughs) Uh, it was it was tremendously hard work the whole time and if any if any of my co-workers uh, are listening to this then it was it was murder that's why I looked tired by the time I finished uh, no it was great fun it's it, it's a lovely place to be and uh, you know it's a it, great crowds of people both you know within the competition and outside it's an amazing team of people running that competition and uh, you know we, and it's it's actually a great catch-up time as well you know particularly cross-country day I, the, you know there's a vet on every jump there's a, a, a three surgical specialists on the on the course there's uh, you know I, I, i'm a surgical specialist i'm in the stables richard hedburn who's an internal medicine specialist one of my colleagues here mm-hmm. is in the stables john killingbeck you know very well known ex-olympic team vet he's in the stables with us you know it's a it's a, it's a massive social as well <laughs> yeah and, it, and it, it's always a good time to get together and we we have a a meeting in advance of badminton um sort of february march time to kind of exchange ideas and see what we can do better all those sorts of things so it's a, it's actually a really positive veterinary experience as well as a, a lot of fun mm-hmm. and um with a bit of shopping locked in from the side as well. Well, you're welcome to that photo. You both look very happy. Um, did uh, well, There were a couple of accidents, though, weren't there? There were a couple of horses that fell. Did you have to treat any of those? Yeah, no, there, were, there were a few tumbles, but actually, um, I'm just trying to remember now, there's, I, I don't think there was anything that was... Uh, I think one of, the, one of the riders obviously was a bit injured. Um, but actually, horse-wise, I think we had a, you know, really very little more than a you know little lumps and bumps very you know one one of the sort of um yeah definitely a, a good year in that respect mm-hmm. uh, you know obviously there are there are always risks involved and you know people shouldn't forget the risks involved in not training your horses and you know having unfit horses pottering around in the field we see far more injuries from those sort of horses than from you know well-trained eventers but uh, yeah no you know there are some risks involved but it, it was a, it was a nice safe year uh, beautiful course um eric doesn't need any more big me up than from me but um he uh, he can do that for himself mm. 
but um, uh, yeah, no, great, great course. And I, I think it was a very successful badminton this time around. It was lovely to see. I've seen a, a bit of a shift over the last few years into more awareness about the horse welfare. And we live streamed the veterinary inspections, which I thought was great. You know, there's crowds of people that go yeah. down to watch the vet, the, the trot up. Uh, it's become a bit of a fashion show now before the next events. <laughs> and I think it's great. You know, you really are seeing the fact that the horse's welfare comes first. And I think it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I know it is. It's 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 a, it's a vital part that that people understand how how seriously that's taken, because mm. um, obviously you know they they are they they are what it's all about. Mm. So yeah, it, it is important people see that side of it. Well, Ollie, thank you so much. I've taken up oh, more than enough of your time. I know that you're really busy and you've probably got to go back into surgery. <laughs> you can see what's going on out there. Yeah, but uh, we can follow you on Twitter. Um, you are at BWXYVets and you're on Facebook as well. And uh, we'll see you, well, next time we'll see you be badminton next year. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll all be there. Thanks very much. See you, Ollie. Cheers. Okay. Bye. Cheers then. Bye now. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode on Kissing Spine. If there's anything you'd really like to know about or a guest that you'd really like to hear on the podcast, then drop me a message. You can send a DM on Twitter. You can send a message on Facebook or Instagram. Or you can email team at horsehour.co.uk. After all, I make these podcasts for you. So if there's a particular subject or maybe there's a veterinary problem you're worried about, then send me a message and I'll find a suitable guest for you. You can listen to previous episodes of the Horse Hour podcast on our website. Just head to horsehour.co.uk. Also on iTunes and Acast too. And while you're on our website, you can see all the pictures from Gatcombe Horse Trials this weekend. It was a very wet and windy and muddy day. And the horses were phenomenal because if you're like me, afraid of going out in wind and rain, definitely wouldn't go out in storms, then uh, these riders are just insane. The mud was horrific and they were still going down the cross-country courses. The pictures are awesome, so I hope you enjoy looking at those. You can also see some videos of uh, like the warm-up arena, William Fox Pitt was there, Gemma Tattersall was there, Izzy Taylor, um, some brilliant riders. And it was lovely to meet one of Izzy's protégés. Her name's Ivy. She's 19 and uh, she was riding her young horse. So hopefully next week at Blenheim we'll be catching up with some of these riders again and uh, you'll be able to hear them on the Horse Hour podcast as well as Christina Henriksen. We can have a catch up and see how her last few events have been and also Aaron Miller. I went to his yard. He's a four-star rider. I went there a few weeks ago and um, he'll be running his ponies too. I say ponies. These are like amazingly beautiful horses. Hope you've had a really good week with your horse. Keep sharing your photos, your videos on Twitter and Instagram and uh, hope you have a great week with your horse and I'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern by using the hashtag HorseHour. Follow Amy at AmyStevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 